You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Amen, amen. Welcome to week two in the gym. Amen. How about that? Y'all excited about going back to the auditorium next week? If you are, make some noise. So, man, we are blessed to just be able to have a spot to meet and to worship Jesus. Amen. Um, And I know that this isn't ideal with a bunch of noise, um, but the Spirit moves no matter where you are. So we're going to expect the Spirit to do what the Spirit does. We're going to continue on in our series through the book of Psalms, and we will be in Psalm 98 this morning, Psalm 98. And if you have a Bible with you, I would ask that you open up to Psalm 98. Use your uh, electronic device, whatever you may have. It will be on the screen as well, but I'm going to need your help with a couple of these words. So uh, when we get there, what we've, what we've seen so far, and what I hope that the Spirit has revealed to you through this series, is that there, there, is, a, there is a continuum, and it's entitlement and gratitude. And a lot of us begin to swing toward the entitlement, and I want to give you an example of that personally. So I woke up yesterday morning, and we had a, a Fishes and Loaves workday. So shout out to the team that came out to help at Fishes and Loaves yesterday morning. But I woke up to load my car with some lawn equipment, and I had a flat tire. And I was frustrated. I'm just going to, that's what I was. That's the word I'm going to use. I was not happy. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, could, it, could anything else be worse than this? Like, I need my car to drive to Fishes and Love. So I, I had to text a couple buddies. One of them came and picked me up and took me to Fishes and Loaves. And while I was there, I was talking to one of the ladies that helps run the ministry. And she told me about a guy that they had just served from Deering who rode his bike from Deering all the way to Harlem to get food because he was in need of that. And here I was at, at my house in the comfort of, of the air conditioning, the comfort of the, the house that I can afford, the, the, the car that I drive every single day, and I am upset because I have a flat tire. And then we have people in this world who are, who are riding bikes so that they could feed themselves and their family. And we all have a tendency to shift toward entitlement when in fact, man, we should be full of gratitude. And what Scripture does is it helps push us toward that gratitude. When we look at the Savior of the world, there's no way we can look at ourselves and think, I deserve this, because we don't deserve it. And and what this series has done for me personally is helped posture me back to the, the place of God is who He says He is, and because He is that, in light of that, I am unworthy because of my sin, because of my uh, filthiness, because of my desires, I do not deserve the love of God. And he says, hey, but I love you anyway. And because of that, man, it leads us to a place of worship. And worship is, and we say this a lot, but worship is our response to who God is and what God has done. That is what worship is. It's us responding with everything that we are to everything that he is and everything that he has done. So let's look at Psalm 98. I need you to help me with the second word in this verse. Verse 1. It says this. Oh, sing to the Lord. 
It says, oh, sing to the Lord. Now, I want you to see here that this is, it's not, hey, if you feel like it, sing to the Lord. It's not, hey, if you like the song, sing to the Lord. This is a command. It says, oh, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. It is a command. So one of the reasons we sing is because God tells us to do it. And if, if, the, if the Lord tells us to do something, we do it. If we don't do what he tells us to do, then he's not our Lord. Some, something else is. Amen? And he tells us to sing. This is what we think a lot of times. We kind of look at worship service, this corporate worship as America's got talent. And, and we see God as the director, the, the people singing. And yes, they are talented. And yes, they are, they are blessed and they are gifted. We see them as the performers, and you guys are the audience. Some of you think you're the judge and the audience. And that's how we see this thing. But that is not what is happening. See, it says that sing to the who? Lord. Sing to the Lord. So we are singing to Him. These people up here, they ain't singing to you. And you ain't singing to them, and you're not singing to the people next to you. We are singing to the Lord. So if you want to think about it in America's Got Talent kind of way, if there's any performers in here, it is you and you're performing to an audience of one and it is the Lord and Savior. We are singing to Him and He is worthy to be praised. Now, the people up here, I love these people because they can do stuff that I can't do and they help conduct us and lead us in the singing and that's fantastic this is what scripture says that god inhabits the praises of his people that god inhabits the praises of his people you know what that means that means that when you when you are singing praise to god that he inhabits those prayers so every sunday when you are here singing and we are worshiping god guess what the Spirit is moving throughout the praises of His people. Do you believe that? Because what happens, let's just be honest and transparent, what happens is we come in here and we sing songs, and if we like the song, we might sing it loud. If we don't like the song, it's like, who chose this song? Here's the truth, just for y'all to know. Andrew chooses the songs, not me. So if you don't, if you don't like them, um, but hey, it's not about that. It is about singing praises to a God who is worthy to be praised. And during that singing and worshiping and praising, he inhabits the praises of his people. So why do we sing? I'm going to give you four things that I think this is why we sing. Number one is this. We, we celebrate. We sing to celebrate. If it's your birthday, somebody is singing you happy birthday. We don't just say happy birthday. We don't say happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear whoever. Happy birthday to you. That, that has no power whatsoever. No, we sing that thing, right? And we sing it at the top of our lungs. My middle child, man, she will scream it and you can't hear anybody else singing it because she is celebrating that it's your birthday and maybe you will share some gifts with her. She loves it. If you're a Georgia fan, how many Georgia fans in here? All right, praise God. So when we, when we score touchdowns, the band, they, they kick off and we sing glory, glory. It's a worship song. We sing glory, glory to old Georgia. That's what we do every time we score. 
because we're celebrating a touchdown. And we score a lot, so we get to sing it a lot. If you're not a Georgia fan, we do have some recovery groups starting soon. Celebration, we sing to celebrate. Number two is love. We sing when we're in love. How many of you married couples and men, you, this is your chance. How many of you have a love song that just, man, it just makes you think about your wife? And every man should have, this is your chance to be a hero. Man, some of us, we can write these songs and it's just like an overflow of our, of our heart and our, our, just our love. And some of us who aren't talented writers, who aren't talented singers, we, we find other people who are and then those songs connect because they can say the things that we feel that we can't say. We sing because we learn. That's how kids learn. ABCs is a song. And when they sing that song, the kids began to learn the ABCs. I told y'all this story a while back, but during COVID, um, I don't know why the government thought this was a good idea, but they thought parents were qualified to teach their kids, and we were not. So I was teaching my, I don't even know what grade she was in, but she was trying to learn the seasons. You know, we have four seasons. Well, in Georgia, we have two, but usually there's four. Georgia is, is summer in January, but everywhere else, there's, there's pretty much four seasons. So I was trying to teach her this, and she just couldn't get it. She, and she was getting frustrated, and I was getting frustrated because I'm like, hey, you're a Driggers, and you're smart. And the more she's not understanding, I'm like, maybe she's not a Like, maybe she's not mine. Like, I'm just not sure what's happening, but she looks just like me, they say. Um, so she's mine. And I started playing YouTube videos for her. Like, listen to this song. This is a cool song. And they start singing the different seasons and there's movements. And like, she finally, finally got the four seasons. Now, you can ask her today and she probably forgot, but that's okay. She needed it then and she got it. But the song helped. And we sing to learn. We sing for connection. Communities come together and they sing to connect as a community. I don't know if all my illustrations are football illustrations, but uh, Penn State, and I don't know why they do this, but they, they come together and they sing Sweet Caroline. I have no clue what that has to do with their school, but they do that, and it's just a way for them in their community to connect. And I think ultimately we sing because it, it's a reflection of the reality of living in rhythm with God. If you think about who God is, he, he is a God of rhythm. He could have said everything, literally, and everything was created at once, and he didn't do that. He had a rhythm and a structure and an order to how he created things. We have an evening and then a morning and then a day. There's just a rhythm in the way that life goes. We have a heartbeat, and I don't know if you've ever wondered why your heart beats the way that it does. And I believe that singing is just a reflection of us just being in rhythm with who God is. And worship is very evangelistic. How many of you know what evangelistic means? So evangelistic just means that we are sharing God with someone else. And singing, worship is that. It is, it's an expression of more than just some kind of head knowledge. Worship is something that is within us that is coming out. Now, you may not believe 
what I'm singing when I'm singing. But if you watch me and if you watch some other people in here, you will, you will believe that they believe what they're singing, whether you believe it or not. Because when the Savior of the world does something to you, you can't get over it. And you want to just respond and to pour out to Him. Singing. We sing to the Savior because He loved us first. We know what love is because He showed us in the fact that He gave His first and His best in Jesus. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, a new song doesn't mean what you think it means. It's not like, Andrew, we need you to write a new song every week. That would be very confusing. We would never learn the songs. That's not what it means. Really what this, this is seen in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, the phrase new song. And sometimes it's referring to just singing an old song in a, in a fresh and new way. That we, we sing this song in a fresh way, in a new way. And we're actually going to end the service that way this morning. But most often what it refers to is a new victory. So the people of Israel would come together before a battle and they would more chant this than sing it. But they would come up and they would do a, a chant or a song to pre-declare the victory that they were about to have in battle. And then after the battle, once they won, they would come back together and they would sing a new song because they had won the battle and they would sing it in a new and fresh way. Well, I have good news for you. I've read to the end of this book, and we've won the battle. The battle has been won. So when we sing, we sing a, a new and a, and a fresh song because the victory belongs to him. The, the Bible actually describes the enemy in the book of Revelation as, as a dragon with a mortal head wound that's just flailing around, waiting to die. And we serve the God who has is, who is put death to death. We serve a God who has won the victory and we're singing from that victory. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. And you may say, okay, so why? Why is it important to sing to the Lord? Why can't we sing to each other? And I'm telling you, you can sing to each other if you want to. Some of you aren't really good at it. And that's okay. We're going to get hit there too because God tells us to sing even when we're bad. But why? And it continues, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. This is why we sing to God, because he has done marvelous and wonderful things. So worship is our response to all that he is and all that he's done. And the psalmist here starts with all that he's done, and then he will go to all that he is. But this is what he's done. He sent Jesus on a rescue mission for you. As you go through life and you, you realize that, man, who am I? Like, I am just a, a dirty, black-hearted, wretched sinner. And then God says, yeah, you are, but I sent Jesus on a rescue mission so you don't have to be that anymore. I sent Jesus on a rescue mission because I love you. He has brought salvation to the world. And maybe some of you sitting in this room, you haven't experienced that salvation and I just want to tell you that it is the greatest thing you will ever experience in your life that if you're searching for something to to fulfill you you will not find it apart from Jesus you can keep trying and you can keep trying and you can keep trying and there's plenty of people in this room that have gone down 
that road and they will tell you that there is nothing that will satisfy you except Jesus. And that is, that is the reason that we praise because He has done marvelous things. His salvation to us is for His glory and because of that we praise Him. Verse 2 says, The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. Now, when this was written, Jesus hadn't come yet. So they are foretelling Jesus coming. They're saying God has revealed Jesus to us. He has revealed salvation to us. We have the, the advantage of knowing how it ends. We have the advantage of knowing that Jesus did come, that Jesus did live a perfect life, that Jesus did experience the things that we experience, that Jesus did go to the cross, that Jesus did die on the cross, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus did come back from the grave, that Jesus did ascend back into heaven, and that Jesus is praying and intercessing for us right now. We have the advantage of knowing the truth, and because of that, we worship Him. If you can't sing because of who He is and what He's done, man, something is going wrong in your life. And we don't sing because we're good at it, and maybe some of you, you don't like it, and I understand that I don't love singing. Let me tell you what I really don't like, musicals. I just don't understand them. Like you got people doo -doo -doo, like singing and dancing, and that's just me. If you like musicals, that's fine. I don't. I'm just not into music that much. But man, when it comes to worship and praising, I will sing at the top of my lungs. And I will throw this out there for you in case you ever hear me. All the songs I sing sound like country songs. That's just how it works. One, because I'm a Christian. And two, just because, I guess I'm from the South and that's just what happens, but it's just got a little twang to it when I sing it. God doesn't care about the twang. He doesn't care how good it is. It's a heart thing. And we worship Him because of salvation, because of what He's done for us and because of who He is. Verse 3 says, He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Verse 4, this is for you. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Listen, he says make a joyful noise, not a beautiful noise, right? Again, I know that some of us, we can't make beautiful noises. It's just not, God didn't give us that gift. So he doesn't ask for beautiful, he asks for joyful we make a joyful noise to Him. And joyful just means that, man, we are filled with the joy of who He is. Do you have that joy in your life in this place? Do you have the joy of the Lord in your life? And some of you, man, you're going through it. It's not a good season for you. It's just, there's, it always seems like something's coming up. Every time you take a step, of faith, it feels like the enemy knocks you down and you have to get back up and you have to take another step and it feels like you're gaining no ground. Do you have the joy of the Lord even in those moments? Are you shifted toward Jesus even in the struggle? Does the joy of the Lord fill you every single day? Some of you, joyful means that if you're saved, you just need to tell your face. 
because your face doesn't show it when you're singing. So, I mean, it, Christians should be the happiest people on the planet. But what happens is when we're standing for worship, and you can ask the team back here, they'll be honest with you, when you're, when, when you're standing for worship and you're singing, and your face looks like there's a, a dill pickle or some vinegar in your face, and it's like, do you... Do you know Jesus, bro? Like, what's happening right now? If you're saved, just tell your face. Smile a little bit. Be joyful with it. Because, man, we should be so, so joyful in who He is. And this is a full body experience. We are one body worshiping one God. And this is an experience that we, we get to have together. This is really the only time that corporately we pray the same thing. Because that's what we're doing. When we're singing worship and praise to God, we are essentially together corporately all praying the same thing. How powerful is it that as a church, as a body of Christ, we get to come together and we in unity get to just pray and praise Him. And I'm, I want you to be challenged. I want you to, to feel a little offended this morning, not by me, but by the Spirit, because worship is an important aspect of what we do as Christians. We sing because He's told us to sing. We sing songs in a new and a fresh way because of the victories that He's given us. Here's a question I get a lot. Does style matter? And for some of you, you're like, heck yes, style matters. That's why we're here. And for some people, they say, yes, style matters. That's why we're not here. Here's the answer. Short answer, does style matter? Nope, it doesn't at all. Like, we're not critical of any style of worship out there. And this may surprise you, but about 10 or 15 years ago, there was this thing called worship wars that entered the church. And what it was is, really, Baptists were finally catching up to, like, Pentecostals. And, like, music and instruments and stuff began to come into the church. And there was a group of people who said, hey, God is honored more with, with this music and this contemporary and modern. And there was a group of people who said, no, God's honored more with just the traditional, with the, the piano and the organ and the hymns. And this is what, this is what it would be like. For you moms, this is what it would be like. You have two kids. One of them writes you a card to just tell you how amazing you are, and they write down all the stuff that they love about you. And then your other kid decides to just draw pictures on a card just to tell how much they love you. And while they are presenting these cards to you, they get in a fist fight because one thinks his way is the best and the other thinks his way is the best. As a mom... How honored are you by these cards? Not very much by either one. The style does not matter whatsoever when it comes to worship. You can, you can do it however you want. It should reflect the heart of the people of God. As we meet together, our worship should reflect our heart and response to Him. There are different styles, and that's okay. It doesn't matter. Verse 5 says, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. 
So he's just basically saying, hey, here's some instruments that they had back then. Use these to make a joyful noise. And we use some instruments here to make a joyful noise. And it all points to Jesus. If it ever doesn't point to Jesus, we will stop doing it. It all points to Jesus. Everything we do points to him. It's always been about him. And it always will be. In John 4, Jesus, he, he comes up to a woman and um, they begin to have a conversation and she tries to kind of Jesus juke Jesus, which doesn't work very well. If you've ever tried to do that, I wouldn't recommend it. But she says, hey, so my people say we're supposed to worship on this mountain. You say we're supposed to worship over here. Like, what are we supposed to do? And Jesus says, hey, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Listen, God's not looking for a song. He's looking for a worshiper. He's not looking for a specific song. He is looking for a worshiper. Are you a worshiper of God? Are you worshiping Him in spirit and in truth? Spirit just means that you are a worshiper. Truth means that what you sing needs to be the right thing. So one of the things that we do here is that there are some songs that we will not sing because they're just not theologically correct. And we need to sing truth. So we're going to always sing the truth about who God is and what God does. Now this is where the challenge, the challenge is about to come in. Specific instructions on worship. And I'm going to give you a lot of verses. You, they won't be on the screen. You don't have to write them down. I just want to give you those for context. But I'm going to tell you some things that the Bible says we're supposed to do during worship. Number one is this. Shout. Shout. How many of you have ever shouted during worship? All right. That's what I'm talking about. Now, let me just let me say this. Some of you, you have a Pentecostal background. A lot of you have a Baptist background. There's some, some Catholic background. And they're all different. So I just want you to, to understand that the backgrounds are a little different in this room, and that's okay. That Pentecostals may be used to shouting, where Baptists are like, why are you yelling? Like, you can't be loud in church. That is horrible. But the Bible says, shout. Psalm 32 says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It says to hallelujah. Now, I want to explain what this means to you. This is two words that have been smushed together. The word halal, which means to lift up your hands, jump up and down and turn around. And then Yahweh, which is the covenant name for God. So halal, Yahweh, they smush these together. So literally it means lift up your hands, jump up and down, turn around in circles for God. And now the Pentecostals are like, yeah, now we're talking. This is what we do. Y'all just calm down a little bit. We're going to get there. Psalm 150 tells us to do these things. But then we see in Psalm 95, it says to bow down and worship. Quiet reverence. It says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. There's a time in worship where we just need to bow down before who God is. 
So we have singing, we have jumping up and down, we have bowing down. And then in Revelation 5, we see that sometimes we should lay down on our face. Revelation 5.14 says, And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. There's sometimes we just need to fall down on our face before the creator of the universe, before the savior of the world, before the king of kings and the lord of lords, and we just need to, to bow down, to lay down on our face. Psalm 149.3 says, Let them praise his name with dancing. Dance is one of these. In 2 Samuel, we see that, um, that David was, was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, and he strips down to his whitey tidies and begins to dance in the street. And his wife, who was very embarrassed, is like, hey, David, come here for a minute, man. Can you imagine this, guys? Like, and she's like, hey, so this is pretty undignified, what you're doing right now. And David is like, hey, you think this is undignified? I'm going to get way more undignified than this. And I can just imagine, he's like, oh, gosh, I'm done. Like, I'm done. He's dancing for the Lord. Man, this is all instructions and just specific things on worship. Here's something for you. And I talk about Baptists because I grew up that way, so I can talk about them, but this is something we didn't do, and if we did, it was always offbeat. But clapping, clapping, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Sometimes, man, we just need to clap for who he is. We need to clap for him. And this is the one I really want to challenge you with. Psalm 134.2 says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Now, why do we lift up our hands? Sometimes, like, we lift up our hand if we know the answer, like at school. Well, at church, you know the answer, and the answer is Jesus. Sometimes, if you're walking up to your kid, if you have a kid, and they lift up their hands because they just want you, and they want you to hold them. And we have a father who wants to hold us. Most of you impact church folks will understand this, but sometimes you just lift up your hands. It's like, all right, you got me. Like, I'm, you got me. I'm, I surrender. And we surrender to who he is. The apostle Paul was writing a letter to a pastor, Timothy, and he actually said that men should pray lifting holy hands. So, man, don't let the women outdo you in hand lifting. Like, let's lead the way in hand lifting. I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be watching. But in all that, 1 Corinthians 14.33 says this, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So here's the last one, is that worship should always, always, always be orderly. It should always be orderly. We should have a reverence for who God is. He's not a God of confusion, but a God of peace and unity. Is that when we shout and when we lift hands and when we dance and when we do these things, that it should be done in an orderly fashion because all the attention is on Him. All the attention is on Him. This is a supernatural interaction. It's not entertainment hour to come to church. I hope you know that. I hope you know that you're not coming here to be entertained. 
And yes, they're talented people. And I, and I understand that if you just stand there, you can, you can be entertained. But that is not what this is. This is a supernatural experience with a God who inhabits the praises of His people. It is all about Him. If you don't like singing, man, you are not going to like heaven. Revelation tells us a lot about heaven, and there's a lot of singing and a lot of worship. And in the model prayer of Jesus, He tells us that man, we should be bringing heaven to earth. So we want to sing and we want to worship. Verse 7 says, Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So here's what, here's what the psalmist is saying, is that everything was created to worship God. Have you ever seen, have you ever been in the ocean and something swims up to you, and like they touch you and then they swim off, and it's like, whoa, what just touched me? This is crazy. Like, maybe not. I experienced that, and I get scared. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't like the ocean. It's dumb to me, like, why people want to get in there, because it's nothing but dangerous. So I'm not, y'all know me, I'm not a risk taker. I like to play, like, keep it safe. And this is, this is the truth, is that fish swim so well because they were created to swim. Birds fly, and it just looks effortless because they were created to fly. We were created to worship, and we are the, the one thing that refuses to do what we were created to do. Why do you think that is? Because we began to try to search for fulfillment and satisfaction in everything this world has to offer, and we just give our leftovers to Jesus. I want to close with this. In Luke chapter 8, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 7, Jesus is eating with, with the Pharisee, religious people. And this woman walks in, and it says a woman of the city. And it doesn't mean that she's just a woman of the city, right? This meant that she was a prostitute. So a prostitute walks in, and she sees Jesus, and she leaves, and she goes, and she gets an alabaster jar just full of a fragrance. Which historians believe and theologians believe what was really her retirement. It was, it was the most expensive thing that she had. It would have been something that allowed her to remain stable as she got older. But she saw Jesus and she, she takes this and she breaks this jar and she anoints Jesus. And she gets so overwhelmed with emotion that her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And this religious person who is there, he doesn't say this out loud, but he thinks within himself, like, if, if, if he knew who this lady was, he would, he would not allow this to happen. And here's, here's what I want you to know about this, is that he thought he was keeping that thought from Jesus, but I just want to, I want you to know something. You might not know this. You can't. Like, he knows it all. So Jesus answers this dude out loud. So this guy's thinking in his heart, man, if Jesus really knew who this lady was and that she was a sinner, then he wouldn't allow her to, to pour this fragrance over him. He wouldn't allow her to, to cry at his feet and to, to wipe his feet with her hair. 
And Jesus responds to this religious person and says, hey, what did you do when I showed up? You sat in your seat and you expected me to sit in mine. You, you didn't give me anything. You didn't welcome me. And here we have this lady who is overcome with emotion because she realizes she is, she is with the Messiah. And she, she pours everything she has out on Jesus. And here's the question. There's two groups of people here. The question is, when it comes to worship, which group are you in? Are you the one pouring everything out to Jesus? You don't care what anybody else thinks around you. You bring everything you have to the Savior. Or are you on the religious side and you're saying, man, I would never do that. That, that just looks funny. I would never waste that. I, I don't really need to do that. I, I'm too important to do that. Matthew 26, 13 ends this way. It says, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also, will also be told in memory of her. So right now in this moment is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus saying, hey, where the gospel is proclaimed, this woman's story will be told that she poured out everything she had for me. She exemplified what it means to worship Jesus. I've told you this before, but I, can, I just can't get over the gospel. I can't get over the fact that God would love a sinner like me, that he would send Jesus on a rescue mission for somebody like me. It doesn't make sense to me. Carl Boberg He's caught in a huge thunderstorm, thought he was going to die. After the thunderstorm was over, he sat down and he wrote a song that we now know is How Great Thou Art. The song got really popular, and decades later, Stuart Hine, who was a, a Charles Spurgeon um, trainee, began, he went to the Ukraine to do some mission work, and he was, he was asking, is there anybody who can read? because I want to talk to them because we, we want to share the, the gospel with people. So he finds out where there's one couple, a husband and a wife, the only people who can read in this area, and he goes, and when he gets to the door, the wife is sharing the gospel with a bunch of Ukrainian people. And he just stops, and he begins to, to listen to what they say. And they're repenting, and they're confessing sin, so he just kind of sits down at the door. And this is what they say over and over and over. They say, we can't believe God would not spare his son for us. What did we do to deserve this? Over and over, they're saying, we, we can't believe God would not spare Jesus for us. Why do we deserve this? They couldn't get over the gospel. And as he's sitting there, he begins to write, and that's where we get the second verse he says, and when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die. He says, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. 
Now we can never get over the gospel. And then it says, and then it sings my soul. Listen, that's not something you can just hum. You don't just hum, then sings my soul. Is your soul singing or not? It says, then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee, how great thou art. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.